Good morning, I'm Terry Carpenter. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We're in the midst of a series uh, looking at the different, several different books from the Old uh, New Testament. We're looking at um, all the authors, pretty much, of the New Testament. And the thing is, every single book in the New Testament um, has something unique to teach us about the truth of God in Christ. And in this series, we're looking at you know, just various reflections from different books as the point. And I want you to read them on your own through the week. If you get a study guide, it's on our uh, Facebook, it's on our website, and this is an opportunity for you to read the Bible on your own. And, and the, the goal is really for discipleship here. Uh, the more we understand how each author reflects of the truth of God in Christ, uh, the more we will be able to reflect Christ as his disciples. And so far we've looked at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And today we're going to look at John. And, you know, a, a couple weeks ago... Putting this in perspective, you know, we, we learned from Matthew's gospel that Matthew is just completely steeped in the Jewish tradition, by far the most Jewish of all of the gospels, and he really focuses on Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. And then we looked at Mark, and Mark is really answering two, kind of, two, two questions. He's focused on who is Jesus, the question who is Jesus, and then the second is why did Jesus die? And then also, he really deals with discipleship. Uh, the story of the disciples is just fascinating in Mark. Then Luke, we saw last week, and Trevor talked uh, about Luke last week, and Luke stresses uh, that Jesus is not only Israel's Messiah, but he is the Messiah for the whole world. And then Luke wants us to see continuity between Jesus' ministry and then the ministry of the disciples in the Acts of the Apostles. And in the Acts of the Apostles is like, volume two of Luke. And, and if, if Jesus did something in the gospel of Luke, there's a story in the Acts of the Apostles of the disciples doing basically the same thing. And often there's two stories in Acts. One is a story of a male doing that same thing that Jesus did. And quite a few times there's, there's the same uh, parallel story of a female doing the exact same thing that Jesus did in the gospel of Luke. It's really a fascinating thing to read them side by side. But the, the point is, all of these Gospels tell the same story. But each one emphasizes something unique about Jesus. And, and as we look at all of them, we get a fuller picture of who Jesus really is and what he means to us today. 
Now, the big word is Christology. You know, it simply means words about Christ. And, and there's two major areas of Christology. One is, how was Jesus God and man? And then the second is, how does Jesus save us on the cross? And every one of these Gospels, they have something unique to teach us about Jesus. Especially the Gospel of John. If you read John this week, it's not going to take very long for you to figure out. This is a unique Gospel in so many ways. Jesus doesn't have near as many miracles in the Gospel of John that are recorded in the other Gospels. But the miracles have a much bigger impact on the story. Now, it's not that John didn't know about all the miracles in the other, in the other Gospels, but the ones that he uses and relays, they're, they're for a specific purpose and a much larger purpose. Same with the teaching. In, in John, Jesus doesn't teach in parables like he does in the other Gospels. In John, most of Jesus' teaching happens in the midst of a dialogue. It, it, there's a conversation, just an average conversation with various people in the story. And, and we get so much teaching, but it's really on who Jesus is. It's, it's a very different feel because John has a very different focus. But we need to understand... John does tell the same story that's in the other Gospels. We sometimes get hung up on this. In John, just like the other three Gospels, Jesus teaches. He gathers disciples who follow him. He performs miracles. Just like in the other Gospels, John tells us how Jesus experiences conflict with the religious leaders of the day. They eventually lead to a trial, and ultimately he is crucified on a Roman cross, and on the third day he's resurrected. He tells the same story, but he's less interested in laying out a biography like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What he wants to do is explain what was really happening when God walked the earth as the man Jesus. His main focus is to explain the truth of the meaning of the story of Jesus rather than tell the story itself. I hope that makes sense. The first paragraph is a perfect example of what I mean. It's what Terry just read. How do the other Gospels begin? Well, Matthew and Luke, they tell us the story of the Christmas stories, right? You know, the angel comes and uh, tells Mary she's going to have a baby, immaculate conception by the Holy Spirit. Jesus' father is God. He's God's son. That's the story in those Gospel, in the, the, the Matthew and, and Luke with the Christmas stories. But listen to the first paragraph of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. Without him, not one thing came into being. And what has come into being in him was life, and life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. So what you hear is, John doesn't bother with a story of an angel going to Mary to explain that she's going to have a baby. He just cuts through the chase right from the first paragraph. He wants to clearly explain what the other Gospels want us to figure out on our own. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. That's Jesus. 
Word is a really hard thing to translate here. In, in Greek, it's logos. And, and it, it, it doesn't really mean what our English word, word means. Now, there are books devoted to what logos means. And, and there's doctoral dissertations written about logos. And it, it can get really complicated, but it doesn't have to. Here's the deal. John uses logos to explain how unique this story of Jesus really is. His story started before creation itself. He's telling us Jesus was there when creation occurred. Because Jesus is God. He is the transcendent, preexistent, incarnate self-expression of God. In Exodus, Moses asks God, what is your name? And he replies, I am. It's the verb to be. I am. Life itself is the point. Yahweh in Hebrew, ego me in Greek. Now throughout John, you're going to hear Jesus say, I am. Matter of fact, in John 18, 6, when they come to arrest Jesus in, in the garden, there's this great scene. And the, the, the soldiers, they come and they ask, and Jesus says, who are you looking for? And, and they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And as they're arresting him, he says, I am, ego me." And if you read it in the Greek, they all lie prostrate when they're coming to arrest him because he says, I am going back. The name of God, this is me. I am, I have been, I will be always. Jesus is the transcendent, preexistent, incarnate self-expression of God himself. Matter of fact, there's seven I am statements in John, and you probably heard them, a lot of them. I am the good shepherd, I am the light of the world, I am the gate of the sheep, I am the bread of life, I am the vine, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the resurrection and the life. Th these are attributes of Jesus' divinity in the Gospel of John, but there's way more going on here. There's seven I am statements, because John's Gospel is about a new creation. It coincides with the Genesis story of God's work in seven days in so many ways. Because Jesus was the logos at creation the first time around. And, and John is saying, this story, this is a new creation. And it's as powerful as what we heard about in the book of Genesis. This story is the story of the Logos, the defining existence of God, the I am himself. Jesus is bringing about a new creation, life abundance. We can experience it. The difference between John's story and Genesis, Genesis occurred at creation. This time around, God didn't just create from outside. He became human so he could physically enter creation itself to birth a new creation from the inside. God is incarnate in Jesus. I am. Now, that's the truth of all the Gospels, right? But the point is the others want us to figure out on our own. And John just skips that whole storytelling and comes out and explains everything from the first paragraph on, right at the beginning. 
when John says, in the beginning was the word, we're supposed to hear Genesis 1-1 because John's gospel, this is the story of a new creation. From John 1-1, in the beginning, all the way to John 20, where he tells Jesus resurrection was on the first day of the week. He's very explicit. Everything in John 20 is the first day of the week. And then Jesus, he goes to each disciple and he's, he breathes his breath in them. Just like God did in the garden with Adam, right? Everything in John's gospel is about bringing about a new creation. You remember the story in, in Genesis. Uh, on, on the day that God created humans, he gathered some dirt. In Hebrew, dirt is a damah. And it was just dirt until he breathed his breath, the wind, the spirit, the ruach, into this dirt. And the adamah became adam, Adam, human life. Without God's breath, they're just, we're just dirt. In John, John ends, Jesus breathing his spirit, his breath, into each disciple, and they become a new creation. They're born again. John desperately wants us to get this, to understand we can be a new creation. We can be children of God. We can be born again. John doesn't tell a lot of the stories that are in the other Gospels. And there again, that doesn't mean he doesn't know them. But his goal is not telling a story. Not like the other Gospels. John wants to explain the meaning of the story, the meaning of the incarnation, that Jesus was God, and he came to give us life. Here's an example. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all have the story of the transfiguration. You remember Jesus and a couple of disciples, they go up a mountain, and Jesus is transfigured, and they get a glimpse of who he really is, is the point. And he becomes this bright white. And then God's voice booms. This is my son, the beloved. And then Moses and Elijah appear up on the mountaintop. And, and it's a gift for these disciples. So they know who Jesus is. Peter, he's there. He wants to build some tents up on top of the mountain so they can stay there, if you remember the story. John doesn't include a transfiguration story. Here's the point. It's not that he doesn't know about it. He doesn't need it because every single story in the Gospel of John is a transfiguration story. Not a transfiguration story for the disciples, like Peter, James, and John, who was up there. Every story in John's Gospel is a transfiguration story for us so we can see who Jesus really is. When you read John, you're like Peter and James and John up on that mountain they go up and, and they see Jesus who to us just says, look, all of this, the mountain, the valley, the, the river, the horizon, the sun, the moon, the stars. I made it all. And I'm doing it again. Every story in John is a transfiguration story. God blesses us with a vision of who Jesus really is. As we read John, as we'll see in a minute, you know, God's already brought the tent for us anyway. So on Christmas Eve, I, normally it's me or someone else, we usually read 
this prologue to the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. At the beginning of Christmas Eve, and it sets up our candlelight worship so well, if you've been here for candlelight worship. And when Jesus entered creation, it was like a light entering a dark room. You know, the darker the room, the brighter the light shines, right? And I love it, end of candlelight worship. And it's all dark in here, but as we share from this one light, this entire room, it just glows bright. We light our candle that we receive from our neighbor. And we pass it on, and we pass it on, and we pass it on. And we raise our candles together, and we don't even need light. That's the truth of the gospel that John is trying to give. The light entered the world in Jesus, and we are to pass this light until the darkness is vanquished. John's gospel ends with some, the prologue ends with these famous words that Terry just wrote, read. The word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as a father's only son, full of grace, full of truth. The word became flesh and lived among us. That word became flesh. Like they said, that's the Christmas story for John. And it tells the truth of Christmas. God entered creation. But dwelt among us, lived among us. There's a lot going on here. In Greek, it it literally says, pitched his tent among us. Or even closer, he tabernacled among us. Tabernacle was a portable temple. Israelites had for God when they were wandering the wilderness, the tabernacle. It was a tent for God. So that God would be with them. That was God's dwelling place. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That means Jesus is the place where God is. And like I said, the whole gospel is a transfiguration story in John. It all reveals his true glory. John ends saying we will be the place where Jesus abides after he's gone. After the resurrection, Jesus' followers will be the temple where his spirit dwells. The word became flesh, tabernacled among us. That's what happened when Jesus meets his disciples after the resurrection, John 20, 19. When on the evening of the day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Shalom Aleichem. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Like I say, John isn't interested in telling the details of a story like Luke tells Pentecost. John wants us to get the meaning of the story. 
the true story underneath that the other Gospels tell us. The disciples, they're like Adam back in the garden on the last day of creation when God breathed his breath into their lungs and they became a new creation. Same thing happens with us when we receive the Holy Spirit. There's so much in John. You can just scratch the surface. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, this kills me, all the stuff we're leaving out. But I want to focus on a couple things really quick. In between John 1, the beginning, and breathing his breath and his spirit in John 20. First half of John is called the book of signs. And, and there's six signs in John. They start with a wedding at Cana. Jesus turns water into wine. Listen to the end of that story, John 2, 11. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee. And he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The word became flesh. And transformed an, an ordinary event into an extraordinary experience. And we beheld his glory. He said there's six signs in John's gospel, and each are ways that we witness his glory is the point. The next one, healing of the centurion's servant in chapter 4. The, the word became flesh and healed the sick, and we beheld his glory. The next sign, the healing of the man at the pool of Bethsaida. And then the feeding of the 5,000. And, and then the healing of the man born blind. And then in chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Each one of these signs, they're, they're a new sign of a new creation. But there's six of them. And six is such a weird number to end with. It's incomplete back in, in this mindset. Seven's complete. And especially as we're talking about a new creation, how many days did God create? Well, seven, we all know this, right? How could John end with six if these signs are about a new creation? The story's not over in chapter 11, raising Lazarus. There's 21 chapters in John. It takes a while to get there, but the cross is the culmination of his glory. And it happened on a Friday morning, which is the sixth day of the week. That's where the glory of God's work in Jesus is complete. The word became flesh and died among us. And we beheld his glory on the sixth day of the week. In Genesis 1, the sixth day, that was the day that God created humans. Created humans in his likeness, if you remember. Sixth day. Creation was finished. And in John, the last words of Jesus as he hung on the cross were, it is finished. On the sixth day, the word made flesh. Finished the work he'd tabernacled among us to do. So what happened on the seventh day in Genesis? Well, God rested. What happened on the seventh day in John? The word made flesh rested from his work, laid as he rested from his labor in a tomb. The word made flesh rested from his labor, and we have beheld his glory. 
But how do you really behold his glory? Well, John's prologue says, To all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave right to become the children of God. Then again in 738, he says, basically, Jesus says, He who believes in me out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. That's the effect of this new creation. In Jesus, God tabernacled among us, and he continues to do so through the Holy Spirit. We're the tent. You know, John talks about spirit more than any other gospel, significantly more. And he breathes new life into his children. They become a new creation. As as the Spirit dwells in us, we are God's tabernacle, so that rivers of living water flow from those who believe him, those who follow. God's children are a new creation. Their lives become channels through which this love flows into the world. That's the culmination of all. In John 20, 21, Jesus says, As the Father sent me, I send you. As he breathes on his disciples, just like he did when he breathed his spirit on Adam, Jesus gave them and us his spirit, the breath of life. It's so we can be his children. It's so we can continue his work, being light in the midst of what can be a very, very dark world. John wrote this story of a new creation, so it would become our story as we become a new creation, as we experience new birth, as we follow him. That means the love by which we are saved is to become the love that fills us beyond capacity and flows into the world. That's the reason John wrote his gospel. So that the word will become flesh once more and dwell not just among us, but within us, through us, so that the glory is revealed once more. The glory of the beloved children Children of the Father, full of grace and truth. Our world desperately needs that grace and that truth and that light right now. I wonder, in your journey, have you accepted that new birth? Have you accepted... And is it flowing from your heart? There are so many symbols in the Gospel of John, and he certainly gives us the symbol of the Supper. Jesus' body was broken for us, and his blood was spilled for us so that we might be vessels of his continued presence. Do you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this bread and for this wine. We thank you for this life which you invite us into. Help us 
to raise beyond anything that we can do as we say yes to your invitation, your yes to your new creation, yes to new birth, that we might be born from above to experience true life, and that through our lives, your glory might be known. In your son's name we pray, amen. I'm hoping you all uh, were given Holy Communion. I'd like to share communion with you at this point. The body that was broken was for you. And the blood that was shed was for you. Life is here and available. If you haven't received it, I'd love to invite you. We have pastors um, all over the place at this point. I don't even know how many we have now. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to start the journey. Or maybe it's time to come back. Start that journey again. The body, the blood. Is it on? It means in sharing. 